What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition. Modesty is settled upon the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. Nowadays, the part of a man that a man does assert is exactly the part he ought not to assert himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part he, not, he ought not to doubt, divine reason. So this is what, so we have really today, I mean, this is, I think, exactly what this bumper sticker is talking about. We have misplaced humility. We have confidence in ourself, but humility in our, in our conviction, in our doctrine, and it shouldn't, it should be the opposite. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and his promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Welcome to the special edition of Table Talk Radio. I'm Evan Gigline with Pastor Brian Wolf Mueller. Seminary uh, Gigline, about to be Vicar Gigline. <laughs> right. Lord willing that I can. A uh, shift in vocation. From seminarian to vicar. Um, yes. Although the, the church I'm vicaring at probably wants to distance themselves from my radio show. so <laughs> No doubt about that. Going don't don't hold this against them. <laughs> going from seminarian to vicar is like going from dragonfly to mosquito. <laughs> Just one step down on an, from an already humble place. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You're leaving. In fact, by the time this show airs, you will be uh, firmly ensconced in your uh, vicarage congregation in Oklahoma. That's right. Uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I'm excited to, to head up. In fact, I, I haven't even started packing my stuff yet, which, by the way, is the theme of uh, of our radio show, Moving. You want to explain? Yes, this is your special creation. special moving edition of, the, of Table Talk Radio. Yes. So, so sorry. We just lost all of our listeners. <laughs> all right. See ya. <laughs> no one blames you. No one blames you. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we have to do our theological buzzwords first, uh, and my theological buzzword for you is millennialism, and that millennialism, is th- nice. that is uh, the belief that uh, the uh, millennial is a literal one thousand years, um, established first by the uh, the reign of Christ. Is that right? Am I? Yeah, you have amillennialism and premillennialism and postmillennialism and right, so the millennium just in general is the one thousand year reign of Christ. So it could Jesus could come back before or after, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. There's all sorts of different views on that. Yeah, I don't have my flow chart, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> yes, uh, the most f- popular form of millennialism is premillennialism, which says that Jesus will return, the second coming. And then at that point, he will establish a 1,000-year reign on earth in which he will sit in the throne of David and rule. Uh, that's kind of standard evangelicalism. Of course, it uh, just doesn't match with the scriptures. But maybe we'll get to that in the conversation, and I will get tons of points. <laughs> we, by the way, need to have another End Times edition. That was fun when we did that last time. It was. I think I won, which is the reason it's so much fun. <laughs> My theological buzzword for you is pilgrimage. 
which is a which is a, <laughs> a spiritual <laughs> I, journey. I get it. It's in the theme of okay. Yeah, that's right. The moving theme, uh, and it was part of the medieval Roman Catholic piety that pilgrimages would be part of a way to um, um, atone for your sins. It was part of the uh, uh, the penance that could be applied, and it was a way to merit grace. So pilgrimage. That's right. Well, first up, we have uh, some listener response that we need to get to, and the first one comes to us from our forum. And uh, it was, I think, show, let's see, 53 when we played The Biggest Loser. Uh, you must have brought up something about the 39 articles because we have a poster uh, that posts a question uh, asking whether or not the 39 articles were written specifically to be vague in order that uh, it could bring unity within the Church of England. So do you know anything about that? Are the 39 articles written to be vague? I, I, I don't, uh, although I would say that the res- they, they are vague, and the result is a church that's vague on doctrine, the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, and this is kind of a sad thing, but it has always been open to kind of a vague or um, uh, loose view of, their, of the church's teaching. In fact, the emphasis in the Anglican Church is really on the tradition, uh, on the worship, and on this sort of thing, and it's and it's almost as if the the doctrine it never has to. We have unity in in uh, in we have unity in practice and not unity in doctrine. Now, if that was the intent of the thirty nine articles, I'm not sure. Uh, it seems like the history of the thirty nine articles was this uh, divorce of the King of England, who couldn't get permission from it from the Pope, and said, "I'll start my own church." Although I think that's kind of a popular and oversimplified view of things. Certainly, it is. Uh, but but with that kind of um, preempting or that kind of beginning, you would expect a little bit of a lack of clarity. There is, of course, movements in the Anglican Church to be clear on doctrine. Uh, confessional movement in the Anglican Church, just like there's confessional movements in the Methodist Church and Presbyterian Church, and certainly in the Lutheran Church, trying to get back to the sources and be faithful uh, to their to their theological heritage. But in the, with the Episcopalians, that's especially rare. Uh, and we see now the discussions when you when you see the discussions that the Episcopalians are even now having in their convention that's going on right now. Uh, it's all about practice, uh, and especially practice that evol- revolves around sexuality. Yeah, for for the most part in the Episcopal Church, uh, the Thirty Nine Articles are kind of like table talk radio points. <laughs> they just don't matter at all. <laughs> for for most churches that, that uh, who are in the, kind of the mainline Protestant uh, camp, the, these old documents are are studied as history, not as not as doctrine. Hmm, fascinating. Um, in fact, even the Bible is often looked at that way as historical documents, rather than uh, the living, solid, and sure uh, source of teaching and doctrine. I remember talking to a friend who was uh, he was studying at the seminary of an ELCA church, and I asked if he studied the Book of Concord, and his answer was, "Yeah, I think we did in church history." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that makes a difference if you have your confessions in church history versus in Dogmatics One or whatever. That makes a real difference on um, on how you look at things. That's right. The other email we have is uh, from Kyle in Travelers Rest, South Carolina, and uh, he poses a pretty fair question to to us. And that is a reflection of the same show, uh, The Biggest Loser, where uh, Billy Graham went up against John MacArthur. And he said, wait a minute, guys. John MacArthur uh, is preaching to seminary students. In fact, he even raises the question, is this even a sermon? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like more of a lecture. That's a a pretty fair question. But it is, in fact, true that John MacArthur 
was preaching this. He was preaching to seminary students at, at a seminary, but it was a sermon nonetheless. And so uh, we still we still hope that to um, have uh, have Christ at the center uh, for of. of uh, of, of a sermon to seminary students, especially for seminary students, in fact, uh, because <laughs> seminary students especially need to hear of the forgiveness of sins. Um, I I uh, am a walking testimony of that. Um, <laughs> he also yeah, brings, in, brings in this very interesting question. I'm going to send this to you, Pastor Wolf Miller. Uh, we, we did respond to Kyle personally, but uh, he asked about, the, the, do Lutherans believe in the third use of the law, um, and is it ever appropriate to preach it? I wish I knew something about this. Uh, this <laughs> Have you ever heard thing. of it? Okay, the third use yeah. of the law is... <laughs> we do say that there's three functions of the law. The, the first function of the law is a, is a use in general society, the law written on the heart and the consciences of men, that the law, the moral law applies to all people and keeps order in society. It keeps men from killing and eating each other, uh, is one way to say it. The second use of the law, which is we call the theological use or the main uh, chief use of the law, is to show us our sinfulness. So that in the preaching of the law, we're accused, we're we're shown our own failure. We're we're it, it's, it serves like a mirror to show us our our sinfulness and our need then for a savior. And then the third use of the law, which is often called a rule, is that the law tells Christians how to live, what to do, and and the law does that. We have in our in our Lutheran tradition uh, uh, even an article on the third use of the law. But I I think, and this is what I wish I knew something about. I think the re- way the Reformed see the third use of the law and the way the Lutherans see the third use of the law is different. Uh, Lutherans use the third use of the law to answer the question, Does should the law still be preached to Christians? Uh, and the answer is yes, because, uh, because Christians are still sinners. Christians are failures. Christians have the flesh hanging around them. And so according to the old man, they still need to hear their own sinfulness and to have it killed, cast out. Sinner, uh, Christians are also, because they have the spirit, the new man, uh, which always does right by God, always keeps the commandments, uh, the new man loves and delights to hear the Lord's law uh, because it, it loves the Lord and it's not condemned by it at all. So that's the Lutheran answer. I think the Reformed means something different because we have a different anthropology of man uh, after conversion. And uh, But perhaps that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, so perhaps if uh, you are Reformed and you know what we're talking about, then send us a little, uh, a little explanation of what the third use of the law is. If you have questions for us, you can email them to questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can post them on our website, on our forum at tabletalkradio.org. Or call our toll-free number, and uh, I guarantee you'll get through, 866-851-5523. And if you missed that show, you can find all of our shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Uh, it's there, and you can uh, and you can listen. That's right. We have about a minute left. Do you want to start our discussion on vicarage, and then we'll go yeah, to a break? I w- in fact, uh, I would suspect that a number of um, a number of our listeners have no idea, have never heard of anything called vicarage, and so I wanted you to talk about it a little bit and oh. explain what a vicarage is. I'm I'm glad we're talking about it because I don't know myself, and so uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I'm anxious to find out. Um, no, maybe maybe just sometimes when I'm talking to people who are not familiar with the Lutheran Church or how you know a training of pastors goes, I, I just in short call it an internship. And uh, let that suffice to, to explain what that is. Uh, but there is a, maybe a, a difference that we'll talk about on the other side of the break. But maybe it's, it's kind of a, uh, a primer. I just sometimes refer to it as, as an internship. And uh, we can get into the details of, uh, of what the difference is when you get back from this break. So let's go to the break right now. We'll be right back to talk about Vicarage. And then we're also going to be playing some games. Is that right, Pastor Wolfman? 
Uh, yeah, we have Table Talk Jeopardy, we have Moving Doctrines, and we have Bumper Sticker Theology all coming up. All right, we'll be right back. Table Talk Radio, where theology meets immaturity. Hey, it's Evan with Table Talk Radio. We recently hit our one-year anniversary of Table Talk Radio. I want to thank you, our listeners, because we couldn't have done it without you. Table Talk Radio has expanded to three radio affiliates, two terrestrial radio stations, and one on the Internet. We've also hit our high-water mark of now six Table Talk Radio listeners. We hope to continue this outreach, and if you can help us out, we really appreciate it. Go to our website, tabletalkradio.org, and click the Donate button. We really appreciate your consideration, and thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. That was a long break. I, I hate being away from Table Talk Radio for too long. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we were in the middle of talking about vicarage, and uh, maybe maybe a distinction, just a simple distinction, to be made um, between uh, internship and vicarage. Basically, the same thing, but just just that the fact that that vicarage is for the the uh, preparation of the holy office. It's not a an internship in the sense that you know an in- internship where you go into journalism or or, or um, any other profession that you can think of um, uh, to, to learn how to, to get a job. The, uh, men who are studying for the ministry aren't, aren't in it to get a job or to get money, obviously just uh, to, to serve the Lord's people with his gifts. And so a vicarage is to prepare uh, a man for that office. Yeah, that's right. So on your vicarage, what kind of stuff will you be doing? You'll be preaching? You'll be um, teaching uh, Bible class? Uh, well, that's what most of the vicars visiting. do at this church. They don't let me do any of that. Uh, <laughs> um, no, yeah, you're right. Though uh, usually the, uh, the the vicar uh, preaches um, at, at the particular congregation that I'm going to. Um, I think that the vicar preaches uh, like once every three weeks or something like that, and um, and under the supervision of the pastor. Uh, in fact, uh, it's tradition at this, at this congregation that uh, the the vicar will preach the uh, the Sunday after he's installed. And so I'm already working on that sermon, and, and a pastor has looked over my outline and, and stuff. So under supervision, he preaches, uh, visits uh, visits the, the homebound. And um, also at this congregation, the vicar is, is largely involved in the Lutheran Student Fellowship, which is the, the, the Lutheran ministry um, that's involved with uh, Oklahoma University. And so college Bible studies and things like that. So. Great. This vicarage is also known, and this is sad news for all of you contestants. You're on, breaking the, up. What are you to, saying? I can't hear you. <laughs> who wants to date a seminarian hotline? Uh, <laughs> this is known as the Marion Vicarage because uh, Marian uh, just just about everyone who goes there single, and they come back uh, with family in tow. True? That's true, isn't uh, it? Barred the last few, so this the tradition might be changing, actually. <laughs> we're, seeing, we're seeing a new shift in, in uh, Norman Vickers. You are such a traditionalist, though. I have high hopes for you. High hopes. Well, you, uh, you should be doing a little study in your book of Concord on the article on the marriage of priests. I might look at that in the uh, the, the the booklet of marriage in the small catechism. <laughs> it's an important uh, booklet to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, All now, right. Now, why don't you just give us? Why don't you, as as pastor of uh, Hope Lutheran Church? 
um, g- give a word of advice for for me for Vicarage that you got from your uh, Vicarage in uh, Texas. Is that where you were? I did. I was in Waco, Texas, doing my Vicarage there, and it's it, that's the year that I became a Lutheran, really. Um, uh, through and and here this is this is how studying our Lutheran uh, teaching, especially the Book of Concord, uh, in hand with the Scriptures, and also seeing then the lives of the Lord's people and the way that our doctrine plays itself out, I really began to understand the uniqueness of our Lutheran teaching, and it is that it's insistent and constant concern in comforting people's consciences. So the reason getting the doctrine right is so important is because if it's wrong, then the the teaching of salvation is missed and the comfort of the forgiveness of sins isn't there. So we um, so we confess what we confess from the scriptures uh, t- for the purpose of bringing comfort to people and and that's really what it means to be a, a Lutheran and what it means to be a pastor uh, and it's what we have to learn on vicarage. Since well, you already know that, I don't know what you're going to say. I was hoping for a little better advice than that, but all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so now we're playing Tabletop Jeopardy. The, everybody's waiting for us to actually play a game. Um, yes. Tabletop Jeopardy, and this is under the the category of traveling or, or moving, something like that? Uh, yes, the moving version of, uh, of Tabletop Jeopardy. We haven't played Tabletop Jeopardy in a long time, so the way it works, you have five questions worth between 100 to 500. Oops, I already messed it up, five answers. And then you have to give the, co- the corresponding questions, and then you will be rewarded uh, tons, of, tons of points. It'll help you p- pay for gas on the way is down to Oklahoma. <laughs> is there a daily double? Uh, yeah, no, there is. Don't worry. <laughs> I marked it right here. It'll be the first one, so I can't get, I can't wager anything. Yes. All right, I'm ready. No, it'll. I'll, right, I'll which take. One do you I'll want? take. Uh, um, so the category is moving in the Bible. Moving in the Bible for 100. Okay. The Holy Family had to flee from Herod, so they moved to this ancient biblical country. Right. Um. Read it again. What are you doing? Checking your email? No, read it again. (laughs) The Holy Family had to flee from Herod, so they moved to this ancient country. I was actually checking my Facebook page. Sorry about that. Um. (laughs) I think moving to this uh, campus ministry vicarage, I think they're going to require you to actually get a page on Facebook. (laughs) It's actually true. (laughs) But the beauty of it is I don't have to use my real name. It'll be like Trinity Vicar, so. I hate Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Um, the, Holy, the Holy Family moved to avoid Herod. Um, I don't know. Egypt. Egypt. The flight to Egypt. Oh, you don't know that? <laughs> so I just got a call. My vicar just got canceled, I guess. <laughs> he doesn't know about Egypt. Oh boy! Remember, and then they come back. Uh, the, the Joseph has a dream: flee to Egypt, and uh, tells the wise men to go this way, and they go down to Egypt for a few years. And then Joseph has another dream: Herod's dead, so you're safe to go back. And then they move move up to Nazareth, uh, and uh, and then that's when it says they fulfilled the scriptures. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Oh, that holy family. See, I thought you're talking about some other holy family. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can we move on? Right. Okay, 200. Yeah, 
you're you're done with the easy ones now. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, here's the second question. Uh, travel in the Bible for two hundred. If Pastor Wolfmuller had only two letters to name a country, he would give it the same name of Abraham's homeland. Okay, read it again. If Pastor Wolfmuller had only two letters with which to name a country, he would give that country the same name as a- as this, Abraham's homeland. Um, two. So an ancient country name only has two letters in it. One is a vowel, the other a consonant. <laughs> Ur. <laughs> That's right, Ur. Ur of the Chaldeans. You got it. <laughs> what is Ur? Vicar Gigline. <laughs> Two, oh, yeah, what is? 200 points. Oh, this is right. ridiculous. Okay, what? 300. <laughs> they only get more difficult. Oh, this one you might get. <laughs> uh, if you had, if, if you took a bus, it would only take you about 15 hours. But it took Israel 40 years to travel from Israel to this place. Um, that's kind of worded like a Jeopardy question, too. Don't you think that's kind of artistic? Yeah, uh, you should definitely get a job. <laughs> um, read it again. I always need everything read, it, read twice. Okay, I'll read it again. <laughs> if you took a bus, it would take about 15 hours. But it took Israel 40 years to travel from Egypt to this place. I'm going to go with uh, the Holy Land. What is the Holy Land? That's right. We'll accept that answer. (laughs) The Promised Land was what I heard. The Promised Land. The Holy Land. That's right. For 300 points. Did you know that? fifty? I remember when I was in Jerusalem, I was in this this little coffee house in Jerusalem, and there was a poster on the wall for... uh, uh, ostrich races in Cairo, and so I was going to go down from Jerusalem to Cairo to watch the ostrich races, and I looked to get a bus ticket, and yeah, it was like a day's travel. It wasn't that bad at all. And I thought, that's all it takes to get there, and it took Israel 40 years? <laughs> but you, Why didn't they but just remember, take the bus? <laughs> <laughs> but to, even to walk from Jerusalem to, to Egypt wouldn't really take that long. And in fact, if you remember, they left, and they went to Mount Sinai for a little bit, and then they came around and they kind of spied out the Holy Land. So it only took them about a year and a half or so to get there, even taking their time. All the temple building stuff and all this. Um, but then it was it was they were right on the edge of the Holy Land when the spies come back and ten have the bad report. And so God condemns them to wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I, when I was growing up, I used to think that it would have taken them 40 years to get from one place to another. But it, it it wouldn't. It's not that long. It's just a few days or a week or so. Um, They're just going in circles the whole time then or what? Well, yeah. A lot of times in the wilderness wandering, they would be camped out for a long time. Uh, so they'd go here and then they'd go there and they'd move one place and they'd move another. But God, yeah, God just had them wandering out there pointlessly. All right. Well, hey, let's let's go to commercial break and we'll finish up this game, Table Talk Jeopardy. During this break, give us a call with your theological questions and uh, comments, not theological comments, but, well, you can, whatever. 866-851-5523 or email us questions at tabletalkradio.org. And we also have our forum on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Click the forum link. I'm you going on Vicarage means that our phone number is now sponsored by the Who Wants to Date a Vicar <laughs> hotline, not Who Wants to Date a Seminarian. Who Wants to Date a Vicar hotline? Yeah, both, both phone lines are equally dead. All right, we'll be right back. More Table Talk Radio after this.
This is Chris Roseborough, captain of Pirate Christian Radio, and Table Talk Radio is PCR's top radio program right after Issues Etc., Fighting for the Faith, Sermons from Holy Trinity, The God Whispers, The Gift, Radical Grace, SoCo, Higher Things, The Feast, Dying to Live, Living Water, Words of Hope, Internet Monk, and reruns of The White Horse Inn. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. I am dominating in this game, Table Talk Jeopardy. I've only missed one so far. Only missed one so far. And uh, That's we're, right. we're <laughs> ready for more. The Table, the table Talk Jeopardy uh, travel edition, travel in the Bible. And so you want to go for the next one, 400? Yeah, 400. This is the Daily Double. So you have 500 points. How many do you want to wager? Uh, all of them. All 500 points. Yes. Whew. Ladies, he's a man that's not afraid to take risks. <laughs> this apostle traveled to heaven to get a look at the lamb on the throne. Hmm. 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 Interesting. Okay, so... Um, I'm going to go with uh, the author of the book of Revelation because, well, yeah, which which is John. Is it uh, who is John? Right, the Apostle John. Whoop whoop whoop! You doubled up your points. How about that? One thousand points. <laughs> I'm gonna, you're you're a millennialist of points. That's my uh, buzzword. Oh, okay. You want you want that to be your entry because I'm going to give you like ten points for it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take the ten and I'll get another five hundred somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. John travels up to heaven. This hey, really, and th- there's something to note here. Um, uh, Jeremiah tells us that all of the prophets stood in the council of God so that one of the marks of the prophets and of the apostles is that, is that they stood in the presence of the Holy Trinity. Uh, how that occurred exactly uh, isn't quite clear, but in the case of John, he's taken up in this vision to see Jesus, uh, the Lamb on the throne. And that and the, and the book of Revelation then is an unfolding of that, of that vision of Jesus there ruling and reigning the whole world uh, from heaven. Really quite wonderful. And for you, too, 500 points. All right. That only leaves you with one more answer. Uh, I should have made this your daily double. You'd lose all your points. You'll never get this. Uh, This psalm begins with a lamentation that the children of Israel had been exiled to Babylon with these words. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to need that one again. This psalm begins with the lamentation of the exile into Babylon. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So you want a number? Yes. What is Psalm <laughs> 72? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we were looking for Psalm 137. You had a one, in, uh, one out of 150 <laughs> chance. 
It's like a point seven percent. Oh, does that mean nope. Table Talk Jeopardy is over? Oh, okay. Now it's time for <laughs> name that church body uh, doctrines that move. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't you want to know your final total? You have five hundred points. Wait, am I still going to get points for name that church body? Uh, yeah, sure. Doctrines that move. How many of name these did you find? Name that body. Doctrines that move. You one. Were, you were doing this show prep like five minutes ago. Don't worry. I found one for this. You, you did th- You did show prep during the gaps of, of my thought in uh, Table Talk Jeopardy. Which gave me plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, th- th- now, th- the idea for this game, uh, doctor, name that church body, Doctrines That Move, is this. Uh, the Lord's Word always is uh it teaches the same thing i mean really from the garden from adam and eve and the promise of the of the serpent crushing seed of eve uh all the way to the end of the book of revelation and all the way to now the church has taught and confessed the same doctrine the same teaching the same thing and it really has to be that way i mean both formally and materially we we know that the doctrine has to be the same because how would it be if we had a god who who thought it fair to um, to to have his truth come in incompleteness, in to not give the fullness of the saving gospel uh, to the uh, to the first people, and and not and more to the later. How would that be? Well, that wouldn't be too good. So we believe that doctrine doesn't change; it's the same. In fact, the church has a a word for new doctrine, and the word is. I'll give you twenty points if you guess the word. Um. Nope. Heresy. Heresy. That's what we. <laughs> Of course, that's 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 what we call new doctrine. Uh, it's when someone comes along and 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 changes the teaching of the church. It's it's got to be false teaching. All, all all true doctrine is old doctrine. So now with that and with that kind of um, preface, what we want to do is I'm going to read two different statements from a confessional or a kind of authoritative works from a from a particular church, and it's going to show how they change. And this is something to look out for. Uh, something that we want to be wary of, that our doctrine doesn't change. So you ready for that? Ready. Okay, the first one, i got to pull it open here. Don't worry, I'm ready. Don't worry, i got it here. <laughs> this, in fact, is a, is a, a, a quotation that we used in the, in the game that we played last uh, week. Oh, that was a doozy of a show. <laughs> Beauty. Here it is. We pledge ourselves, says this particular writing, to the prophetic and apostolic writings of the Old and New Testaments as the pure and clear fountain of Israel, which is the only true norm according to which all teachers and teachings are to be judged and evaluated. Okay. So that's the first one. Now, the teaching there is what? Uh, that the, the scripture is... Um divine from god uh that, that, that the church is based upon the holy scriptures um the revelation the infallible revelation from god and um that's the source of all truth yes now here's the second one now this is a bit longer and kind of boring uh so stop me if you want to make some sort of energetic uh vicar like comment to uh illuminate the text here oh yeah, yeah. the role that. of the <laughs> the the role of the Bible in constructive theology is radically qualified today by historical consciousness. Luther believed that the literal meaning of the scripture is identical with its historical content. Things happened exactly as they were written down. 
Today, it is impossible to assume the literal historicity of all things recorded. What the Bible authors report is not accepted as literal transcript of the factual course of events. Therefore, critical scholars inquire behind the text and attempt to reconstruct the real history that took place. In, Christo in Christology, this has led to endless debate. Okay, we need to stop it right there. Um. <laughs> that scared me. Oh, I jumped out of my table talk radio chair. Um. <laughs> you almost buzzed me right out of my table talk radio shirt. Whoo! Oh, man. Uh, any chance to get that is worth it. No, but uh, I had to stop you because you have this, this talk about the, this changing views. Okay, we... Theology was once one way, but then it's changing to another way, uh, which completely contradicts the first one that you just – now, since we're playing this game, uh, church bodies, confessions that move, I, I'm to assume that uh, this these are both from a church body ascribed to both of these? Yes. Okay, so this is, this is interesting. So you have one really contradicting the other. Right. Um, we should we should maybe say then. My ears are still ringing. <laughs> I, if I would have known it was coming, I would have shot the ball. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's like right behind an elephant who had just eaten a gallon of beans. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> Okay, I don't know what to do with myself anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, we should probably mention, because th there might be then uh, someone from the Roman Catholic tradition oh. listening saying, wait a minute, Luther was the one that was trying to reform things in the church. If anyone's changing things, it's Martin Luther. Um, how, however, are you okay over there? I would say to that, <laughs> Get a buzzer like that. <laughs> <laughs> I ripped it off of the, the gymnasium over here at the seminary. <laughs> it's in my room. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Luther wasn't changing the doctrine. In fact, Luther and the Lutheran confessions will say over and over, look at this, is not. we are not teaching new stuff. The problem is you guys are teaching new stuff. We're teaching the what the scriptures teach and what the church taught. Um, perhaps they brought a little bit more clarity, but it certainly was not different. Uh, so yeah, that Roman. In fact, the Roman Catholic doctrine on that case falls short because they believe in the authoritative teaching office of the Church, which is unnecessary if Bible doesn't if the doctrine doesn't change. The only reason you need an authoritative teaching office is because you're going to go about the business of changing one of the doctrines. So in fact, what the what the Roman Catholics accuse the Lutherans of is really what they themselves are guilty of. But this is not from Roman Catholic doctrines. These two quotes. No, I get another one, or is this it? Do I, do I need to guess on these two? Nope, you got to guess on these two. So you okay. have the before and the after, the original, and then the change. Well, th they're obviously Lutheran. Um, well, not well. Yeah, they're obviously Lutheran because the first one is from the formula. Is that right? Right. So it's from the the Book of Concord, which is a Lutheran confession. So it must be a Lutheran church that at some point ascribed to the the Lutheran confessions. Um, and now we have one saying that there's there's changes in God's word. I think it's consistent of a church body that uh, uh, no longer I should put it this way uh, changes God's word according to the cultural times is what that expression uh, that last quote said. So I think this is going to be um, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Um, am I right? You are right. In fact, that second quote is from uh, Christian Dogmatics, Volume One. 
from Fortress Press, which is the dogmatic handbook that the seminaries for the ELCA use. Yeah. At least they did five years ago. And, and, and you know, first I think we saw it first with with women's ordination that you know times are changing. And once you once you say that, look, you know, Paul was writing to that church, but not to us anymore. Then it opens the floodgate to other things, like uh, for example, uh, this summer the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is voting on their position of homosexuality. So that's a that's what what uh, happens when you open up the the possibility that the scriptures aren't infallible. Uh, nor are they uh, the norming norm. So that's all. That's all the time we have for Whoa. for this game. But we'll be right back. We're gonna play bumper sticker theology right all after right. this break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Never imitated. Never duplicated. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. <laughs> we're in the middle of, uh, or no, we just got done playing that last game, and now we're playing Bumper <laughs> Ticket Theology. I don't even know. The don't game know. with the buzzer. That buzzer <laughs> reminds me of a joke told by one of my favorite false teachers, Chuck Missler. I, I don't think I've told this. This is pretty funny. About the captain of, uh, of the English uh, boat, and, um, and, uh, and he was out sailing around, and... Uh, and the, the and the report came. Hey, there's a Spanish ship off the starboard side or whatever, and uh, and he tells his assistant, "Get me my red jacket," and uh, and uh, and raise the flag. So they were sailing along another time after that battle, and someone reports, "Hey, there's some enemy ships over the horizon over there." And so he calls to his his assistant there, "Get me my red jacket and raise the flag." And he did this every time they would go into a battle. He'd call for his red jacket. Uh, and so finally his assistant asked him, Sir, why, why every time we're getting ready for battle do you ask for your red jacket? And he says, Well, son, that way if I get shot in the middle of battle, people won't see me bleed and the men won't be afraid. Well, it was about a week later and the report came, Sir, the whole Spanish armada is approaching us. And he said to his assistant, Get me my brown pants and raise the flag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, that buzzer reminded me of that joke. I don't know how, but... Okay. <laughs> All right, two minutes less of Table Talk Radio you have to listen to. Um, now we're playing Bumper Sticker Theology, and I have a bunch of little bumper stickers here uh, to talk about in the vein of, of moving. Get it? I want to, by budget. the way, award you 300 points for that last game, bringing you to a total of 800 points. All right. How many do you have? I haven't had an opportunity. Mm. I'm 0 for 0. I have no points. You're the one becoming a vicar. <laughs> You're in your sound effects, man. Whew. Okay. Um, That's something. <laughs> bumper stickers. Uh, I have one here. It says, believe those who seek the truth. Doubt those who find it. Oh, yeah. What do you make of this one? Everyone's a seeker. Okay. The way bumper sticker theology works is we, we would assume that when people are willing to put some sort of bumper sticker on their car, it's an expression of their whatever, beliefs or thoughts or something like this, so that we can kind of get our minds around popular theology by considering some of the bumper stickers that we see. Now, so what's the theology behind this? So this is a good game to play with the kids as you're driving along, 
Well, some bumper I, stickers. I, yeah, that's right. I think this is in the uh, Table Talk Radio Home Game Travel Edition uh, bumper oh, sticker theology. Brother. Uh, and the, and so the bumper sticker says, uh, trust those seeking truth, doubt those who have found it. Um, and the idea here is this kind of popular idea that we're always seekers. We're always on a journey. We're always looking, but we've never arrived. Uh, we're always seeking, but we never find. Um, the, it's the, the, the journey is, uh, is the fun, not the arriving at a destination type of thing. Uh, in fact, beh- behind this uh, bumper sticker is probably the doubt of any sort of um, uh, any sort of conviction that we have found the truth or that we know the truth. In fact, what it says there was, "Doubt those who have found the truth." Is that right? Right. Yeah. So why why would you want to doubt those that say they found the truth? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea here is that there is no truth. I mean, if someone says they found the truth, then they're wrong because th- there's no truth to be found. So we're all looking, but we we've, we've never arrived. Yeah. Well, and how, how many times do you get this, especially when when uh, the truth is something that goes against a person's actions or what they're doing? You know, when, when you confront them with the law, you know, the, the Ten Commandments are true i mean they're the revelation of god as we we talked about earlier in this program and so you know if you're to say hey uh you know you probably you shouldn't be stealing someone else's stuff you know they're going to be especially offended by that word of truth when when it confronts them what they're doing and, and what is wrong i mean yeah that's the great thing about relativism is that it means that there's if there's no truth, that also means there's no error. I mean, we free ourselves from being criticized or being judged or being wrong about something uh, by virtue of the fact that there's nothing to be wrong about. Uh, if there's nothing to be right about, then there's then you can correspondingly never be wrong. It reminds me of, and by the way, I'm looking around my shelf, and I just found it now for this book, uh, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, where he talks about humility in the wrong place. Have I ever, have I given this to you? I think so, but go ahead. What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition. Modesty is settled upon the organ of conviction, where it was never meant to be. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself, but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. Nowadays, the part of a man that a man does assert is exactly the part he ought not to assert himself. The part he doubts is exactly the part he he ought not to doubt, divine reason. Uh, so this is what so we have really today. I mean, this is I think exactly what this bumper sticker is so, talking about. We have misplaced humility. We have mm. confidence in ourself, but humility in our in our conviction in our doctrine. And it shouldn't. It should be the opposite. Mm. I take that back. I don't know if you have read that. You you quote him on something else though about uh, knowing knowing what's wrong or something like that. Or I don't know. I've got one of the tab in the book, so that's probably... Uh, this talks about where wrath and love run wild in the church. That's great. Yeah. Uh, but here, this is the trouble that we face as Christians. When we come along and say, hey, I know what's true. I know the truth of the universe. I know the truth about God. I know the truth about salvation. I know the truth about death and dying. I know the truth about uh, life on the other side of death. I, I know these things. People hear that that conviction as pride. Right? Mm, right? That's prideful. That's arrogant. How could you? Who are you to know all this sort of stuff? 
uh, on the other hand, if someone says, well, I don't know, I don't know these things, I'm not sure about all this, that that seems like humility. Uh, be afraid of those that have found the truth, that that sounds like a humble statement. But the problem is it's it's that's the opposite, that's the exact wrong diagnosis. Christians who are convinced that what they know from the scriptures are true are not proud. They, it's, they're not trusting in themselves. They're trusting in God's word. They're, they're saying, who am I to doubt what God says? Who am I to question these the truths that the Lord reveals to us? Uh, I'm nobody. And so all I can do is trust what God has said. On the other hand, someone who doubts the scriptures and doubts that these things are true are so sure of themselves that they can come and make judgment of God and say, I know better than God. Uh, I, I know that that can't be true or that that surely isn't right or something like that. And, and so what looks like humility to the modern world is really nothing other than pride. And what looks like pride to the modern world is really the essence of humility in standing before God and accepting his word as truth. Yeah, that's right. Um, I have another rubber sticker that's a lot like that. It says, the truth doesn't sit still. You know, this this is actually uh, found on the uh, rubber sticker of all the ELCA bureaucrats. That, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Changing doctrine. Truth changes. Yeah. I, you now, you could, I think you could understand that rightly. Uh, in the sense oh, of yeah. Luther, when how he talks about faith. Faith is a busy, active, living thing, you know. It doesn't wait to be told what to do. It's already off doing them. Um, faith is not a duck that sits on top of the water, but rather the fire that boils the water kind of thing. Did he say that? Did he say the duck that sits on top of the... That's a kind of funny image. I don't know. Uh, if we should have a Table Talk Radio shirt of a picture of a duck floating on the water and and says something like this, Faith is not like this. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be another bestseller. Oh, yeah. Oh, what boy. was your last idea? Uh Infused grace should be a banned substance. Yeah, that's right. How's that flying off the shelves? Hard yeah. to keep in stock. It's it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> um. uh, but uh, but so you could understand truth doesn't sit still like that. In other words, a person who knows the truth of God and of of themselves and all of this is busy in doing something about it. But I think you're probably right in understanding that the intent of this bumper sticker is, um, hey, uh, things change. Truth changes. Uh, doctrine changes. Uh, what's true about the world now is different than what was true 50 years ago. This isn't our grandfather's church type of thing. Um, right. And that's just silly. Well, I have one more for you, and we have a minute and a half to respond to it. And I, it's a quote, and it, and it gives the person who said it. I'm going to give it to you, and then you can guess who said it. All right. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. <laughs> is this our friend Deepak Chopra? No. No. Oh. I guess again. <laughs> okay. You don't have a soul. You are a soul that has a body. Yeah. Um. Uh. What's the guy over in India? The Tibetan guy. Uh. The Dalai Lama. Uh, this is C.S. Lewis. What? <laughs> C.S. Lewis. Shame on him. <laughs> So what do you think he's trying to say? Or what What do you think of the bumper sticker? I don't know if they took this out of context, but well, obviously they did. But um, what do you think the bumper sticker is trying to say with that? 
in less I than a minute. Any idea? You don't have a soul. You are a soul that has a body. I mean, maybe emphasizing the the fact that our value is in our spiritualness, this sort of thing. The problem is, I mean, it's this. The reason why I was going for Eastern Orthodox uh, religion is because they make this great dichotomy between the soul and the body, right? This kind of dualistic. We're escaping from the body. Our essence is our soul, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. While while we in the Christian tradition taught from the fact that there'll be a resurrection, we know better. I mean, we know that God created us body and soul and that we will be body and soul forever. Uh, so we are who we are. Um, you know, a lot of times when people die, uh, people will look at the body and say, oh, they're not there anymore. And I just want to say, well, what's that? What's that right there? Mm-hmm. That's them. That's their body. Uh, and that will be their body forever on the other side of the resurrection. So I'm not sure what the point is. It seems like that's taken off on some sort of Gnosticism, but uh, uh, but we can be glad that... Uh, that the Lord teaches us differently in his word. And you can also be glad that Table Talk Radio is over. <laughs> so. That lasted for a millennium. <laughs> uh, seven points, but that's better than my zero. So, <laughs> All right, thanks, thank you all for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like all the messages on a Who Wants to Date a Vicar hotline. Really not there at all, are they? <laughs> Sorry. Ouch. <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.